Hi, I'm Adrian Sullivan. Welcome to episode two of the Coaching Playbook with Shane Hassett. This week's guest, Shane, is currently the coach of the Clare and Tumi Vara Senior Hurlers. Um, Shane's story is very, very interesting in that he didn't have um, a high-level inter-county career and started his coaching career from the grassroots up. So for any coaches kind of unsure about their pathway into elite coaching, it's a really, really interesting listen. Um, and because Shane is an inter-county and a club coach, he gives some excellent nuggets on, on high performance and how to apply that at club level if you don't have the resources of an inter-county team. Um, before we start, we'd like to say a big thank you to the Irish Strength and Conditioning Network for sponsoring the series. Um, these things simply can't happen without sponsors, and we're very grateful to them. The Irish SNC Network is a diverse coaching network that includes members from a wide range of fields, from SNC coaches, sports scientists, and physiotherapists, to students, hobbyists, and anyone with an interest in coaching, really at all levels, from grassroots right up to elite performance. As a listener of the Coaching Playbook, the Irish SNC Network are offering you a 30-day free trial. Um, simply use the code Play at checkout on irishsncnetwork.com to access all the fantastic uh, resources and information that they have on the site. So thanks for listening. Like, subscribe, and enjoy the episode with Shane. So today's guest is a guy who probably flies under the radar a little bit on the inter-county coaching scene. But at a young age, he has a CV that is the envy of many, including myself, I have to say. Uh, a Fitzgibbon Cup winner already with UL and current coach of the Clare and Tumi Vara Senior Hurlers, Shane Hassett. You're very welcome to the Hurling Playbook. How are you? Not too bad, Adrian. Thanks for having me on. Not at all. Shane, we'll crack on straight into it. I suppose it might be fair to say that you break the mould a little bit. Um, I suppose a young coach, no inter-county senior hurling experience but already a vast amount of experience behind you um, at the highest levels of the game, coaching. Tell me a little bit about your coaching journey, how it started, and I suppose how it started so early for you. Yeah, I suppose breaking the mould is one way of putting it. Um, there's there's a huge element of luck involved along the way, but I suppose I did put in the hard yards as well. Um, you know, when you're when you're in a transition year, I suppose, you, you get into the cool camp coaching and that, and you, you work your way up from there. But... Went into college in UL, done sports science, um, and didn't get involved in any coaching in first year there. But from second year onwards, I would have played hurling in first year and say with the fresher, fresher hurling team, I was captain of the fresher team in first year. And then Gary Kirby was the manager of the team. And in second year, he asked me to get involved with the freshers, say, as a second year. So straight away, I was getting involved with guys pretty much my own age or maybe a year younger um, and doing, you know, doing things like taking warm ups. Um, and that kind of thing, just a little bit of organising, but getting involved in team setups, standing in freezing cold below. And I remember Tralee with a camera video on a game and all that kind of a thing. And, and that kind of just went on from, I think I ended up spending like seven years in UL throughout my own undergraduate degree and master's. And another year after that, again, also all while I was playing as well. Um, So I stayed with the fresher team while I was playing up to Fitzgibbon level and then once I, I kind of finished playing in UL, I went from, say, Gary obviously became the Fitzgibbon manager, and then I obviously went up with him, um, and I went from there. And then that was, I suppose, COVID actually came in then. I was I was due to actually take up a management role in UL, and then COVID came in. And as COVID then came in, I found myself not doing a lot apart from my own full-time job at the time, which I was lucky enough to be able to work during COVID. Um, but then kind of randomly out of the blue, I, I got called by by Brian and into the Clare setup and um kind of all all spiraled from from going in there, which I'm sure we'll go into more more detail. Yeah, so the the 
the college environment is a fantastic place to to start coaching. I know you're chatting to someone about this the other day. There's so many teams, and while it is high profile at certain times, it is a kind of a safe space um, to cut your teeth a little bit as well, isn't it? And that it's not quite the cut and trust of senior intercounty or uh, even the, like top level club. You can kind of make your mistakes off the radar a little bit. And so it's what I would have found with college coaching. Uh, I'll pop this question over. It's the network of people I built up from just being around UL and the different teams and stuff like that that I found to be a great help to me over the years. Yeah, definitely. Like, and I suppose from from playing, obviously you meet an awful lot of people and still to this day you meet a lot of lads and a lot of them obviously playing for other inter-county teams, but it's great to obviously, you know, even go at, go over to them after a game and just shake their hand and whoever wins, you know, um, it's, it's nice to be able to meet those fellas, but also from the coaching point of view, you know, I'm still meeting coaches that I was involved with or would also have been involved with other teams in UL, like yourself, say, like the likes of DJ, um, DJ Collins, and loads more. There's, there's so many of the coaches that went through through UL there. But to be able to meet them um, every now and again, and you know, it, it's a great network to have. Um, and you're never like that. You're never in awe of meeting any any of these um, maybe bigger names that you might have seen. There were bigger names back then, but um, it's just because it, it it really is. I, I'm not sure what other colleges are like, but UL is certainly is like a club. Um, mm -hmm. And to this day, I still support that club. So that, that kind of leads me on to the next question, Shane, is that you are the same age as a lot of the Clare lads. So can you tell me about the first time you stood up in front of them, I suppose, having no inter-county playing experience? Um, how are you feeling? And like, did you have to work hard to get their respect or or how did it how did it kind of uh, roll out for you? Yeah, I suppose, again, when I went in, I went in originally as as an S&C um, SNC into the group, I suppose SNC slash sports scientist. I had my master's in sports performance done. Um, so I had I knew I had the knowledge. Um and I, I wasn't really overawed. I was quite competent in the gym side of things. I had trained, say, up as far as county under 21 level at football, actually. Um, but also played at Fitzgibbon level in Hurland. So I knew the standards of athleticism that you're dealing with there. So I uh, wasn't really overawed by any of them. And obviously I knew quite a lot of them because a lot of the lads would went to UL. Um, and then, so my first was real job there was taking gym sessions. And that was a really nice way of meeting the lads because you're giving them your new ideas uh, that they might not have seen before, different movements maybe, or different, I suppose, um, approaches to the gym, let's say. So they're um, like most inter-county players, they're like sponges. They love information. They love new ideas. They love taking all these uh, different concepts on. So uh, no, it wasn't tough at all um, from that point of view. And then just as the year went on, the first year went on, um, gradually just got more comfortable and then started taking the likes of warm-ups. And for me, like when it comes to S&C, strength and conditioning, conditioning for me a lot is, is to do with uh, the actual game. So you know, so I started taking a lot of different uh, games and things like that to improve conditioning. And that's where I tied in then with the hurling coach that was there, Sean Tracy, uh, brilliant hurling coach and brilliant former player for Galway. Um, and I learned a lot from him. And quickly, the two of us dovetailed really easily. Um, he knew what I was trying to achieve and I knew what he was trying to achieve. And we were actually able to to work really well together. And by the end of the first year, you know, I, I felt really comfortable with the lads um, and they were very comfortable with me. And I suppose one of my my big things is I'm able to articulate a point pretty well. I, I you know, previously I might have got flustered up, but every day I'm learning and I'm getting better at uh, getting my points across. And the players like that level of information or the detail that you might go into, and it's all about how you get it across to the players. So, 
to go back to your, your question, no, never felt um overawed or, or anything like that. Um felt I just transitioned, I suppose, really well from being just the S and C then into taking some of the hurling and obviously the sports science side of it. And into year two then um Brian asked me to get more involved in the hurling decisions, let's say. Um so it became a, a bit of both. That year was was difficult because I was trying to juggle the S and C and the hurling and the, the say the data analysis if you want to call it that from load monitoring and gps and all that um and into then the year gone by my third year there where i progressed fully on to just hurling coaching and and we got in then an snc to, to do that that side of things yeah no it's uh it's very interesting i suppose the the thing that's running through my head is i suppose it's often spoken about that transitioning from fitzgibbon to intercounty as a player is is a is a kind of a natural stepping stone that it's a good breeding ground for intercounty players to see what they're made of is such a high standard I suppose you benefited very much from being involved at that level as a coach and you seem not to have had any real um, doubts or I suppose lack of confidence kind of making the step across so I suppose my next question would be like aspiring coaches who are maybe doubting that they have what it takes would you recommend that they should try and get involved at a college level and, and use that as a as a stepping stone into intercounty? Yeah, I think that's that's probably the natural progression. Um, if you're if you're young and you want to get into coaching, um, I suppose I I I still want to play, you know, and, and to this day I'm still trying to play, um, <laughs> but kind of quickly realised that you know you're not going to make it maybe at the at the top top level. But um, so starting with college is a good idea, yeah. But also you know, uh, now I quickly kind of learned I I prefer working with more mature athletes, so kind of from minor upwards, um. It's not that I have never done it into an underage or anything like that, but I suppose that's not my expertise right now. After my few years of experience between UL and Clare, I'm actually much happier maybe working with old, older uh, athletes. So, um, but obviously get stuck into the likes of the cool camps. Um, if you're, you know, if you're back in TY fifth or sixth year looking for a summer job, that's a great introduction. Then if you go to college, then get stuck into your GA club maybe in the college or. Uh, get help out with your minor team at home or your under 15s or 16s at home you know there's there's loads of opportunity there you just have to go and look for it and that's the one thing i'll say is you know i only for i was actually asked by gary kirby to get involved with the freshers when i was in second year i might never have done it and might mightn't even be in this profession now you know um like a lot of sports science students end up leaving it when they finish college so um there is that element of luck as well and the same when it came to the getting involved with Claire, it was kind of it was a bit of luck really. Um to you know that I had worked with Brian before um as a player and and kind of um he would have known me from the UL scene as well. So uh, just a bit of luck there too. And uh, like that that's networking for you. So he he kind of knew who I was and he knew a bit about me. So um just getting to know know different people and, and the college is great for that because as you said there's so many different types of coaches, obviously different um teams different standards of teams as well and obviously up to four different codes uh, between hurling football camogie and ladies football yeah it's 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 interesting that you say look there and i think maybe people don't realize how much look is involved in, at different uh, different stages like i can point to three or four different times in my career where i've got a break that someone took a chance on me that maybe i didn't deserve um based on my experience and that i definitely wouldn't be where i am now coaching only for it funnily enough i don't know if i become cynical maybe i sat down for a coffee with a guy there about a month ago that was looking for me to get involved with the county next year and he asked me what my goal was in coaching and i started laughing i was like look i've been in this game too long to make long-term goals anymore because 
Like yeah. there's so much luck involved in, in elite sports. You could be a bounce of a ball away from being the best in the world or the worst in the world. It's just like, I think what you said there, Shane, is bang on like networking. I think take the job that you have currently, do it to the best of your ability. And if you're a genuine person and you do the job to the best of your ability, the people you've worked with will give you more opportunities down the line and people will see, see you for what you are, I think. Um, so he wasn't too happy that I didn't have a big aspiration to go and do X, Y, and Z. He thought I was cynical, maybe saying I was only focusing on what was in front of my eyes. But um, I think, would you agree with that? Just work hard at the job you have. And if you're a good, genuine guy with a good work ethic, that look, you get more opportunities along the way. Definitely. Like, I, I suppose I'm always a big believer in what's for you won't pass you um, in, in everything. Um, I kind of live day to day, really. Um, that's just something I, I suppose I. An attribute I gained over the years is just to take every day as it comes. You know, if you even think of thinking of the Munster Championship this year, you know, I don't know how many teams were a puck of a ball away from either being knocked out or going through. And at the elite level, that's what it can be. The same, you know, same in soccer, same in rugby. Um, and obviously, like I, I, I'm sure other counties are the same. I'm currently watching a lot of games in Tipperary Club Championship, a lot of games up in the Clare Club Championship. I've watched a few streams here in Limerick as well. Um, and it's like at club level now, it's so cutthroat. Um, so you can't you can't be setting out, you know, these massive goals for yourself. Number one as a coach, you just have to work with what you have at the minute. Take the team that you have, work really well, and and then the other thing I really believe in is word of mouth. Uh, I'm not a big believer. I'm not I'm not very uh, present on social media or anything like that. Um, even though sometimes you might feel like you try to have to put up something to to stay relevant, but. I just, I don't like it. Actually, I've all notifications for Instagram, Twitter, that kind of thing just turned <laughs> off. I'll, I'll see him when I go onto it. But um, if you're good at your job and you're 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 doing it well, word of mouth will travel. Um, and, and that's basically, for me, that's, or if there's any young coach listening to this, that's really, really important. But that has to start somewhere, you know. So whatever you get into, be it your under 10s at home or be it the fresher college team, give it everything you can. Um, without putting yourself out of, you know, uh, putting yourself out in terms of college work or things like that. And that's <laughs> easy for me to say that now, but I actually, my grades slipped a nice bit in my second year because I put so much time into going to matches and missing classes, but they didn't slip that much. But at the same time, um, as I said, it, it, the actual experience has probably stood to me more now than the grades. Yeah, I'd say I've uh, had a couple of employers uh, over the years that would have said that my work ethic was very much down between February and August a lot of the time, but uh, we, won't, we won't go there, I suppose. Um, Shane, you mentioned club there, watching a lot of club games at the moment. Obviously, you're, you're coaching Toomey Bar and Tipperary as well, and, and you're, you're motoring away okay. Um, a lot of our listeners will be club coaches. Um, as I said, you, cl- you coach at both levels, county and club. Do you approach club differently to county, and if yes, in what way? No, um, I don't. In terms of my coaching, I don't. So I want to give or I try to give the club players the closest to an intercounty experience that they they'll get. Um, so for example, like to me there at the minute, there's there's nobody in the in the panel that's on the county senior panel. Let's say, um, there was one guy in the twenties this year, and um, you know, so a lot of those guys. Now, someone would have played with county panels in the past, but a lot of those guys aren't used to maybe having the county level experience. So I just try to bring, can I bring two or three things that we might use in an inter-county setup back to the club? And obviously the way I coach then 
you know, be it with games or be it with specific games or be it with drills or be it with the, the gym side of things. I'll try and give them what I can give what I, or what I am giving, I suppose, to, to Claire. Um, and I think they appreciate that. Um, they like to see as close to a professional setup as possible. Like they like to see organization. And that's not just from me. That's from the management, obviously, as well. The manager, the coaches, the selectors, everyone that's involved. Um having a uh, kind of kit, kit men or kit people there, you know, and they really appreciate the effort that goes in then. Um, because I know myself from playing Club Hurling for probably the last, maybe, what do I know, maybe the last 12 years, 13 years, I suppose, you see an awful lot of different coaches um, and you can spot the ones straight away that, you know, don't have their, their I suppose, their stuff together. They're, they're not as well prepared maybe as they should be or, um, and obviously the ones that are, then they stand out a mile and, and they're the ones that you, you learn an awful lot from. So, no, I wouldn't, I don't really approach it any differently. Um, yeah, now, yeah. obviously, it's obviously that, that's, sorry, that's, yeah. um, that goes with the resources as well. You know, you're not going to have the same resources that you have at the inter-county level. Um, be that, say, for example, let's say a GPS uh, system. Now, thankfully, I do have that access uh, with Tumi Vera and that's really helpful. Um, and I'll go into that in further detail maybe later on. Um, but the likes of that or the likes of maybe a video analysis software or an actual stats team that are working on a, on a software like, uh, you know, whatever software companies are out there that we all know the ones that we all use. Um, so, yeah, you mightn't have those resources or you mightn't have the, the exact resources that you have at inter-county level. But at the same time, that's not going to stop me from uh, going, pulling my own clips out of a game, doing my own analysis on a team that we might be playing or a team that we've played in the past or anything like that. So they're the kind of the, the smaller things that I might be bringing, bringing to the table at club level. Yeah, you'll find you, you kind of, you, you tend not to lower your standards to the resources available. You tend to get more resourceful and find a way to, to get yeah. it done. But I think you, you'll, you'll go further as a coach that's incredibly well organized, I think. Or you get more out of a team if you're incredibly well organized and professional and maybe don't have as much hurling knowledge than you will if you have all the hurling knowledge in the world and you're all over the place, I think. Uh, I think guys like structure and discipline and and organization and 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 things like that. I think it's it's very important if you can add the hurling knowledge on top of that. Then I suppose you're you're halfway there. Obviously, you mentioned there, Shane. We met in in UL, so we obviously know each other outside of uh, outside of doing this, and that's why I invited you on. I remember you telling me in the past that one of your pet hates from your experience on the club scene is managers putting massive emphasis a massive emphasis on the wrong things right so um could you expand a little bit on that for me and maybe give any club coaches listening here the benefit of your experience um yeah that that kind of comes from it's it's actually one of the downfalls of studying sports science because you get so critical and um so analytic about the actual science of uh, let's say recovery methods um load monitoring um gym programs that kind of thing that if that if if what's being given to you then at club level and you're just going in there as the player is not what you think is right it can really frustrate you really really frustrate you and and that actually hand up i will say that actually held me back as a player because i then didn't buy into what the management were trying to do um and certainly held me back as a player uh having studied sports science so a couple of things i suppose that and, and this is just and I always want to try and educate. You know, if I go into a team and the manager is there, they might have another coach or they might have a couple of selectors. You want to try and educate them that right, we can improve the what you're doing here a little bit. Um, so I'm not going to say the next couple of things. I'm not going to say this is the right or the wrong thing to do, but there probably are better ways of doing it. 
Um, so the first one I'm going to touch on there would be, let's say, uh, recovery. So there's a huge emphasis on recovery from, say, the club side of things, which is very important. But a lot of um, the first thing that will be thrown out there is, oh, get into the ice bath, get into the, the river down the road, get into the sea, get the recovery boots on, um, cryotherapy chambers, um, you know, there's various contrast therapies. There's various different forms of it now, and it's great to actually see there's loads of these different recovery room kind of types of situations popping up all over the place. And they're brilliant, but they're they're literally one percenters in my own opinion. And a lot of them have a very small amount of research to back them up. Um, some of them is kind of unproven yet. So for example, like the cryotherapy, the ice bats, um, not really proven yet or not. It's kind of a little bit uncertain, but uh, it has been shown to actually blunt adaptation to training. Now that's actually more shown in a gym setting. But so again, a lot more research has to be done on the likes of those. Whereas if players could nail uh, an adequate, adequate amount of sleep, uh, and I'm a big believer in sleep because I, I, I'd be terrible if I don't get eight hours a night. Um, and I still get up at six o'clock in the morning. So that'll tell you what time I'm in bed. Um, sleep, number one um hydration obviously and food so no particular order but those three so if you can nail proper sleep proper then hydration like the amount of guys i'd see and they're not drinking water during the week they might start drinking water on the thursday for a match on a saturday or a match on a sunday but realistically that's not going to be enough like you need to be drinking your your couple of liters every day realistically and obviously eating eating good quality food and and i suppose the the elephant in the room a lot of the time is uh like you might have a match last weekend and then you have a match this weekend and then some guys again and i've done this in the past myself and they'll go and they'll drink a, a load of pints and then they're no full bloat on the saturday night after the match or sunday night after the match and then they're expecting that their dead leg is going to cure in a week's time um so i don't know i can't remember who quoted it a couple of weeks ago some inter-county footballer maybe but they were saying that they just avoided the they avoided going out um on a certain night after they got a dead leg in a game because they knew It'll, it'll blunt the recovery and it'll take longer for that dead leg to heal. Like So if players could actually, or if they, even the managers and the coaches could put more focus on, right, lads, get your sleep, your food, and your hydration right first. Then if you have, obviously, number one, the money, and to, number two, the resources to go and take the ice baths or the recovery rooms or anything like that, by all means, go and try that. But I think a lot of the emphasis there is um, goes into the actual, the smaller one percenters as opposed to the big three, as I call them. So... That's the that's the first piece of advice I give there. Um, the second one then is when it comes to S and C in the gym. Um, so the strength side of it. Um, so I've seen I've seen all sides of it, but I suppose one example. I'm just gonna these are just scenarios I've seen. So one year you might um, you might go out to the championship, let's say quarter final time, semi final time, and there'll be a review, and they'll say right, the first thing right, we weren't we weren't strong enough, we weren't fit enough. That's obviously the first thing that gets turned out right. So we'll next year, we'll, coach. yes, well, well, they might not have had an S and C coach. So the next year, right, we'll get in an S and C coach, and we'll do more gym, and we'll religiously do the gym. So then the S and C coach will come in, and he'll do he could do a really bad gym program, and he might only do it for six weeks, which we've all seen, um, and that goes out the window after six weeks, or else. He's there every night and it's actually structured SNC and it goes on the whole year through and there's nice progression from a kind of a strength block onto a power block and whatnot. And they're doing all the right things. But at the same time, then guys are picking up injuries. So then the management is wondering, right, well, how, how are all these lads getting injured? We're doing all the SNC. Uh, we're trying to do everything right. But yet we have four or five guys out with soft tissue injuries. So 
there's more to it than just doing the gym um, or not doing the gym. And I'll actually put my hand up and say here, um, from a club side, um, I let the guys off to do their own gym. So I put it up on the app and it's up to them to do it. I know hand and heart, a lot of them aren't doing it. And that's the nature of club as well. And and they just haven't got the buy-in because it's year one that I'm with them. So uh, they haven't bought into it fully yet on the gym side of it. But yet we've very few injuries. So very few soft tissue tissue injuries. We've had, we've had a couple and that's the nature of sport. So I suppose this is where load monitoring comes into it. So a lot of coaches or, or managers that might be listening to this might know what load monitoring is. So load monitoring is basically managing the amount of times that the guys are training for how long, the intensities of the session, the distances they're covering, and basically kind of what the GPS is giving you in one sense. That's the that's a certain metric. There are a number of different metrics you can collect. You can collect RPE as well. Um, they're kind of the two the two easy ones would be the, the RPE obviously doesn't cost anything getting a, a rating of exertion out of 10. Um, you can use that or else then obviously if you have access to GPS, which is becoming very accessible, then, then that's even more important again. So, cause you're actually able to say, right, well, this guy is after hitting his 90% of his max speed twice this week already. And we're going to throw him out into an open field game here tonight again. Well, it's a recipe for a hamstring injury. Um, if you're doing that. So I'm not going to turn around and say to every coach or every manager out there to go and upskill yourself in, in GPS or upskill yourself in load monitoring, but have an awareness of it, obviously, but maybe number two, when you are getting an SNC involved in your team or a sports scientist involved in your team or even a coach involved in your team, maybe ask those questions. You know, do you know what load monitoring is? Do you know what, um, I suppose, do you know how to read a GPS? Uh, because some clubs actually haven't bought now and then they're sitting idle. I've seen that where because the, the guy that got them in originally used them, but then the guy two years later didn't use them and they're in somebody's, um, somebody's press somewhere in a house. So I'd ask those questions if you're a manager, especially because it's up to the man manager at the end of the day to hire, obviously, his coach and staff, or his selectors. Not even to say hires, a lot of them are voluntary. Um, but if you're getting in an SNC or a sports scientist, number one, ask him their, their qualifications and whatnot and what they can and can't do. And if they're not able to work the GPS, that's fine as long as, as long as they said that. But number two, if they are, let them do their job. Okay. So if I'm a young SNC and I've come into your club and you have a hurling coach, that's fine. So I'm just there to do the gym side of it, bit of conditioning work and maybe keep an eye on the load with the GPS. And I'm going to tell you, Adrian is, Adrian is a little bit of a red flag tonight because he's after hitting, he's after spiking, let's say, in, in his volume and his high speed running compared to the last couple of weeks. Well, then he needs, he needs to be tailored. His session needs to be tailored compared to everybody else. And it's slowly going that way. But it's still light years behind where intercounty is. Light years behind. Yeah, and, and the number one, I've seen it big time, Shane. Like a different experiences over the years. Like we we're very lucky last year in in Dublin. We had a fantastic relationship. That, that kind of a an access between the S and C, the physio, and myself as the as the manager, head coach. Um, and their attitude, like it was always, if they can't train, they can't train. But what made it easier for me to swallow that as a manager, because it's hard to swallow it, and you you just have to, and that's it. But anytime somebody could do some part of training, they did some part of training. So the question always was asked, what can they do? Not what can they not do? Yeah. So like we would have read bibs players the same as the NFL and you know, if they had a, an injury that they, they might have gone into games but not be allowed to be tackled or stuff like that, or they might be doing their own thing. And that made it a lot easier for me as a manager then to go, well, this person here, I've been told they can train, but they really must not be able to train because 
otherwise they'd be doing something. I think that yeah, really, yeah. you're right. I think the GA is light years behind. It's like people taking risks, like crazy risks on players. And well, I think it's just I think at club level it's it's a lack of knowledge. It's just it's just they haven't been I suppose educated on this. Um. But at intercounty level, you have so much, and I'm still like I'm. I'm only getting good at this in the last year or two because of the guys I'm working with, uh, say the physios, the sports science, the SNC, mm-hmm. in Clare, and and they're educating me as I go along as well. And and you know you're 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 learning as you go along. But if you um, look at if you look at Dublin though, like throwing all the resources they have, their senior hurling team, and the dog in the street knew that Donald Burke wasn't going to be right for the game against Clare, and they threw him in. And he was gone after eight minutes. Yeah, yeah. So look, we're look again, still even at intercounty level. I think they're still. They're yeah, still so so I, I was going to use the word ignorance, I suppose, uh, and that that does come in at club level. You know, uh, mm-hmm. definitely comes in at club level. But as a coach, if you're a coach, let's say, and you're you're the main coach on that team, you mightn't have a physio to tell you that. You mightn't have an SNC to tell you that Adrian is only able for um, X amount of the session. You kind of have to judge it, and, and when it comes on to, I, I know we're going to touch on on coaches that have influenced me. You know, there was I, I'll go through that. There's a there's a guy like he was way ahead of his time, and he would have seen this. He would have been pulling out the older guys here and there, and the lads who were in college, he'd pull them here and there, and you know. So you as a coach, if 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 it's just you, you have that responsibility as well. If you know a player has a history of hamstrings, let's say, and in your head, you can say, yeah, they've done a lot of sprinting last night. They're after doing a lot of sprinting tonight. Now, I should probably pull him from this game, let's say, because there's going to be a bit of sprinting in it as well. Or, you know, so you have to kind of, and that's where planning your sessions come into play as well, you know, and we'll, we'll go through that. Yeah. No, so those, those, those two things, sorry, Adrian, those two things, number one, the recovery strategies, uh, stick to your big three first. And then number two, I suppose, the S&C side of it and the load monitoring side of it. Um, Listen to your SNC coach if you've hired one, or your sports scientist if you if you've brought one in. Um, and number two, if you don't, maybe just go go and do a little bit of reading on it. Um, because if you're getting muscle muscle injuries, soft tissue injuries, um, you know a lot over the year. Um, well then it's a load issue. Most of the time, it's it's actually a load issue, and and probably nothing to do with what they're doing in the gym. Well, it's, that's really interesting, Shane. I think any any club coaches that are listening should be able to take those uh, those little pointers away and, and and implement them with their team. Um, okay, so we've reached the part of the show now where I'm going to ask you the same general questions that each guest is going to be faced with. Okay, so um, I am absolutely fascinated by coaching and that it's there's so many different ways of reaching the same destination. So I'm, I'm really interested to see how all the different guests answer these questions and to see the similarities and differences as, as we go along through the episodes. So first question, Jane, you just touched on it there. Who's the person you've worked with uh, who has most influenced your coaching style? Well, I have my page here beside me and I have about 15 names written down. Because <laughs> um, I actually, I, I think I've taken probably one thing from every single coach I've had or every single maybe manager or selector. But I've also taken things from them that I don't want to see. You know, there was <laughs> yeah, a number of things that I was like, right, if ever I'm a coach or a manager, do not say that or do not uh, approach a team like that. Um, and I use a lot of that as well, but I've whittled it down to three. Um, okay. So I'll just briefly go through. That wasn't the question, though, but I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Well, I'll, I'll bring down to three that <laughs> have influenced me a lot. Uh, I suppose we'll, we'll start number one. My my coach and my manager as I grew up from all our teams and the lads will always 
nearly take take the mick out of me for for it because I was always the captain and I was always the free taker was my own fatter. <laughs> but um no in fairness like we went on and we we eventually won our, our minor county final at uh at minor level. No no it was minor B but he was with us the whole way up from my my age group the whole way up from under ten up along and um he was the manager of the team but whatever about his uh as you can imagine as a Tipperary farmer he'd be quite raw um but he he actually taught outside the box and he still does think outside the box um and he a couple of years ago i remember when teams started playing sweepers and he was couldn't understand how now he wasn't involved with teams at this stage he was just watching on as a as a as a, a supporter i suppose man in the stand but he couldn't understand how eventually some team just didn't fully press that it didn't push up on top of the sweeper and lo and behold here we are now and a lot of teams that are kind of getting close to Limerick are, are pushing up man for man and obviously that's what we've done with Claire so he his ability to think outside the box you know has me that's he influenced me in that that degree that I've been able to try and not just be a yes man and go with what everyone else is thinking but to try and challenge challenge the opinions of the management and the coach and not and other coaches in that so he'd be he'd be up there um the second person and I suppose I come from a club in, in Tipperary called Drum and Inch and uh the home of Paddy Butler and Paddy be kind of known as the, the godfather of hurling coaching down where we're from and probably all over a lot of Ireland yeah. so he was the first he was the first uh, director of hurling as well um so Paddy's a great man but Paddy actually coached that minor team as well so I would have had him up as far as minor and then he got his his director role so we didn't really have much of him after that but one thing that he done and I'll I, and, and to this day and I still do it with all my teams involved with, and his big expression was how many times can a player touch the ball in the sessions how many touches of the ball can a player get so if we take if we think about the way the game is going now and how coaching is going now it's going a lot towards games based coaching okay and that's brilliant and that's what we need but there's a lot to be said for standing five yards away from each other and repetitively hitting the ball to each other and then pull it back to 10 yards and then pull it back to 15. and i do this in every single training session and any of the lads that might see this or listen to this that i'm coaching will know that just get them striking the ball get their touch right get them ball to hand right and if we think about the limericks of the world today the one thing people will always say is yes they're athletically very strong they're physically very strong but just their, their simple hurling is so so sharp so sharp so that for me and, and paulie butler was a big advocate of that was get as many touches of the ball as you can and get comfortable on the ball and get confident striking the ball and catching the ball and he was he was kind of a, one of the main guys behind getting ball walls into into a lot of clubs um so he's definitely a huge huge influence on on how i'm coaching no, that's really, um, that's really from, interesting Jake, I think, I think myself um in my own coaching i went completely down the games based hole there about seven or eight years ago and uh, almost to, to the point of looking down looking down my nose at anyone who wasn't nearly producing a full games based session but like the more i look into other sports um the more i've come back around to isolated scale and patterns of play and uncontested patterns of play and touches of ball and movement and stuff like that so that's a really 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 interesting point actually yeah yeah and like there is there's a time and place for for everything i think i i think that you have to do a certain amount of that um that isolated the repetitive repetitive kind of drills and, and that could be the warm-up i remember i done a session maybe two or three weeks ago there and i remember asking the lads after the warm-up probably not 15 20 minutes gone i just asked them how many times do you think you've touched the ball in the warm-up i'm sure you know it was about 200 times nearly at this stage <laughs> you know and then we went into our games 
you know so repetitive um work on the skills was was his big thing so that's Paddy is number number two or i suppose the second there and the last guy and I, i've touched on this guy was ahead of his time nearly but he, he probably had a lot of experience under his belt when he came to us he came into our club back in 2011 um into drum and inch and brought us to our first county first and only ever county final victory in Tipperary in 2011 he stayed with us we lost county final 2012 I think he was there again in 13, and then he came back to us maybe a couple of years later again, or maybe three or four years later. But for me, he was one of the best coaches I've ever had. Um, Sean Prendergast is his name. He's from Lismore and Watford. Um, one of his sons, both his sons probably played at Watford underage up along and, and possibly up to senior. Um, but Sean was a primary school teacher, primary school principal. But everything he'd done, I've taken an awful lot from him. Um, his, his ability to know how to speak to individuals and how to speak to a group but also then his ability to know when to kind of turn up the intensity of how he speaks or tone it back down um training teams he used to like before there was any load monitoring there was no gps but he'd know right i need to pull out that guy out tonight i need to pull him out after x amount of the session he needs more uh, we could have been doing a game where it's you know a high ball in contest the high ball breaking ball type type game and he'd spot in right well there's the young lad who's maybe a little bit soft we'll bring him down here and mark the, the hardest man on the team <laughs> you know he so he had this ability to see all these different things and they're what we call nowadays matchups like you know and getting mm-hmm. used to guys matching up on different people and all that and he's um well i think he the biggest thing i took from him was was how he communicated um and he'd look into your eyes you'd be in a huddle or whatever you'd be looking straight into your eyes and speaking with such intent that you'd be fit to break down the wall after talking or him talking to you you would and i suppose now when i'm trying to get my points across or if i'm doing a speech or anything like that you know I, i'm trying to think of well obviously i've a lot of thought out before i even get to the session but you're you want to say the right thing but you want to say it in the right tone as well um, and I learned an awful lot from him. He he was a fantastic coach. So, so yeah, Sean Prendergast is the he's the, the the third of my three there. Very good. I think I think what you described at the start there, kind of knowing when to pull back and knowing when to when to raise the intensity, and knowing how to speak to people and stuff. I suppose like, I would refer to him as soft skills. I just suppose like I would have seen that as a real deficit in my own skill set. I suppose for the last few years, so it's something I'm very conscious of um, of kind of trying to be better at um it, it's kind of it's difficult it's not something you can just read about and implement i think it's it's kind of you just have to learn it from experience i think and over the years knowing known individuals and knowing what motivates individuals and when to push it and when to pull back and and stuff like that i, I, I think is that something you can only really learn with experience can you practice it i'm not sure what you think well i actually i think i i gained a lot of experience there when i finished up in college i no, like you're applying for all sorts of jobs because sports, sports science is such a wide range of uh, of skills. And I ended up getting a job with a, a newly formed kind of biomechanics company, let's call it, in Ireland, where they're analyzing your gait and your body movements and all that kind of thing. But slowly that became a very successful kind of an injury type rehabilitation clinic. Um, I was there for four years and, and I left it last year to take up this coaching kind of more on a full time basis. But I, over the space of four years, I think I met 3,000 or so people, maybe a little more. Um, and a lot of them were coming into me eventually. Like, again, this is where word of mouth kind of spread. A lot of them coming in with pain. So a lot of back pain. Um, then you'd have your... Now, these are, these are general population. Everyone from mm-hmm. 
18 year old and even sometimes younger you're dealing with younger people as well but up to i think the oldest person i saw was 93 like you know and everyone in between from all walks of life and in that job i learned all the soft skills that you could possibly learn nearly because you were you do not know what's coming through the door they just make the appointment they come in through that door and they have an hour and 15 minutes with you and you have to try and find out right what's going on here is this actually an injury or is this a chronic pain is this chronic pain stemming from something that's gone on in their life you know and and some days them people will will tell you everything and other days you'll never get it out of them and the guys you'll never get it out of unfortunately they're still probably wondering why they're still in pain but the ability to speak and to try and draw it out of them without being um without being too kind of merely aggressive in your approach with them and asking them why why are you in pain or whatever but if you're able to speak in a nice manner and have empathy for that person, like the amount of people that sat in front of me and just they probably just cried for about half an hour. And that was brilliant. And that was that was their that was their like therapy for all the world. Mm. Um, and I quickly became quite good at that. And I've no problem saying that. Um, and as I said, the business became quite successful for me. Um, no, I, I wasn't I didn't own anything like that. I was just working for them. But I had a little clinic there that was going nicely. I had people coming from all over. The west coast of Ireland, I had intercounty hurlers, footballers, um, coming. I had international athletes, um, international roars, runners, um, swimmers. So you saw all the, you saw all the athletes, but you saw the general population as well. Mm. Um, and I think soft skills they are really, really important. I got a lot of experience there that translated then obviously into, into the into the intercounty scene and the club scene and everyone I deal with now, even management, because you have to be able to deal with. You know, you're dealing with a backroom team of maybe 15, 20 people. Mm-hmm. And they're all coming from different walks of life. So, yeah, I definitely got a lot of experience there. No, it's, a, it's really interesting. There's a huge, I think there's a huge crossover in in the skill set of, I suppose, uh, professional life and sporting life. I think it's uh, I think the two kind of go hand in hand, um, really, you know. Um, so next question, Shane. Tell me what the day of a training session looks like for you. I suppose we'll go with Claire maybe. Um, so a clear training session, Joe, what's the, what's your day look like? What kind of prep are you doing for it? What kind of communication is there between the coaches before the session? That kind of thing. Yeah, well, let's even, let's break that down into maybe the week of a game. Um, or like the monster around Robin where it's, you're after playing a game on the Sunday and then your game maybe next Sunday or whatever. So, you know, if it's a Tuesday, you're, you're probably having, you probably would have had a, a management, uh, kind of a management and selector meeting on the Monday night to debrief on the game. And then, We'll go through, right, this is what we want to show the guys back on Tuesday night and this is what we want to work on this week. And then you look forward to who you're playing the week after and this is how we're going to approach them. So some of those meetings could go on for, you know, an hour and a half, two hours. Um, So come, let's say the trends on the Tuesday then. So part of my role is, at the minute now, is to do kind of a video analysis session. Whereas, like, we have people doing the stats in the video and coding and all that, so they look after that. But then... As a coach, I might want to pick out, you know, five or six things. Right, guys, we've been working on this um, for the last game. This is what went well, and this is what didn't go so well, and maybe this is why it didn't go so well. So you'll show them that, um, and then probably not on the Tuesday, but maybe on the Thursday night. Then you're, you know, it kind of depends on how much time you have before the next game. You'll say, right, this is what we need to work on versus the next team. Um, this is how we need to approach the next team. Uh, and you'll show a couple of clips from that and again I'll be pulling out those clips maybe using a bit of clip draw or something like that just to highlight it 
something, you know, something simple enough. But keeping that to probably 20, 30 minutes max before training. I'd arrive to training probably two hours before the training starts. So you're talking trends at seven there, five, um, just setting up the kind of the computer or the, the video room, let's say. So your, your screen and your laptop and whatnot and getting the chairs laid out and that. And then you might or might not, again, depending on how the week is going, you might again meet with the management there again just to debrief. But earlier that day, I would have rang, you know, you'd be ringing all the other coaches. So the coaches, hurling coach, let's say, the other hurling coach, myself, the SNC, um, maybe the sports scientist and the SNC kind of doing the same thing to see, right, is there anyone that's kind of a red flag now after the weekend? Who do we need to pull back a little bit here? Uh, maybe who didn't play at the weekend that needs a little bit more? And then you're obviously you're 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 creating your session plan then based on that. So if that doesn't happen on the Monday, that'll happen on the Tuesday morning. Um, create the session plan. The session plan will go to the players by Tuesday lunchtime, usually one or two o'clock, so the players know exactly what's coming up. Um, and then as I said, you're just getting down to training. A lot of it you're going through in your head, and then once you're down there two hours beforehand, you have time to kind of relax. But in case you forgot something, you have time to to you know to do whatever you might have forgotten. So um yeah get through your training session then and you're you're straight away just just moving on to, to the next day um so that's kind of how a uh, uh during during the season let's say a training session would or a training day would go it doesn't really i won't even call it a day it's nearly the day before and the day before you're once once one thing is over you're straight away yeah. focusing on the next day so um a lot of phone calls whatsapps that kind of a thing just to make sure everyone's on the same page you can be quite chaotic, can't it? Like that monster, that monster round robin is just it's hold on for dear life, really, isn't it? We, we've kind of experienced it last year at the Camogie as well at Dublin. We played five weekends in a row in the championship, and it's just you're literally just praying that nothing goes majorly wrong because you've so little time. It's just we're ready yeah. here now for the first round, and then it's all over so quickly. Then you've five rounds played, it can, yeah. be, it can be fairly chaotic. I think, and obviously, I'm not a manager and never have managed, but as the manager of the team trusting the guys you've brought into your backroom team with their expertise there is so so important so i mean if the snc is saying this guy cannot do anything tonight or this guy can do x amount you have to trust them and um, because the margin for error there is so small like you'd see at inter-county level this year like if a guy got injured he's missing the whole monster championship or he's missing could have missed the year you know there's, there was plenty of high profile injuries this year and and you just don't want that. And thankfully, we didn't have too many ourselves this year. So I think we managed that quite well this year. Um, so, but it, it's so important just to have open levels of communication throughout that whole backroom team. Make sure everyone's on the same page. Um, and if 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 there's not, then you're you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your three non-negotiables for any team you're involved in? Oh, um, number one, definitely punctuality. <laughs> I am a stickler for time. I'm I I've a small bit OCD with it. I kind of don't like that part of my my attribute. Let's say um, I do and I don't. But like that, as I said, like I'd have to be down the train in two hours beforehand, you know. Or if even if I was at home training myself, I'd nearly have to be there an hour beforehand. Um, just it's just I suppose it, it is a good thing in a way. Um, I I am kind of religious with time, um, and I'd be quite uh, put out if if players weren't on time. And if I go into a new club and club I'm with now will know exactly. I have a few uh, punishments, let's say, if uh, the first training session or the first couple of training sessions, if there's fellas late, they won't be long uh, being on time in the future. And it, it works, like, you know. So, um, but yeah, punctuation is, is definitely one mm-hmm. fellas being on time. And look, we know there's always those guys 
and we're kind of like once they arrive we can start the session and it kind of becomes a bit of a joke then as well because you have to appreciate everyone else some guys are coming from afar yeah. and some guys are just some guys are just like that and you have to respect the guys like that as well um, There's, it depends on the environment as well like i would i've been very much like that as well and when we finished with westmead in 2019 uh club in westmead Clonkill asked me to get involved no I, like i knew i'd heard of Clonkill obviously because they had five or six lads in the panel but i had no idea what I was going into, and like I just remember the first night we're doing a training session. I see a lad wandering in, bag over the shoulder about 10 minutes late, and up head to toe and muck overalls, and just sat beside the pitch eating a sandwich. And like he hadn't been at home all day, he was on the farm until about three minutes ago. You know, yeah. so like there wasn't much point me giving out to that lad, you know, for being late. He's literally hauled himself out of a silage pit somewhere to come training, you know, so I suppose yeah, exactly. you kind of have to make allowances for, for your environment as well sometimes. But, you yeah. do. You, if, you can, if, you, well, yeah. if you can create the environment that, right, I do want you to be there. I always say if you're, if you're five minutes early, you're 10 minutes late. So, yeah. you know, if you, if, if trends at seven, I want you there a quarter to at least. Um, and in that way then, if a fella is running 10 minutes late, he'll still be on time. <laughs> yeah. You know, so um yeah, but you have to respect the guys that are, are working hard jobs, physical jobs, uh lads or ladies with kids at home, you know. So you, you you'll have all sorts of backgrounds and you do have to respect that as well. But at least if you can have if you can have your own um if you set out your own stall at the start and you're always on time, well then the players will respect that you're you're holding up your own side of it. So yeah. definitely that's that's number one. Um I suppose another one might be um effort, if you want to call it effort um so you know coming down to training and actually giving it everything and being as coachable as you can be you know I, and i first one again i'll put my hand up and say there was many years there where i wasn't i was just going training for the sake of going training there was a number of years where i kind of fell out with fell out with the love of the game nearly and it became a slog for me um driving home because i'm living in limerick it's about a 45 minute drive and there was a stage where you're eventually you're just going home and you're going through the motions and you're probably not putting in the effort number one and then number two you're not even coachable to the coach that was there and all you can do look back and just maybe regret it a little bit but um um definitely it's something i look for now is that can can you come in tonight and just be one percent better you know can you can you improve by one percent here tonight but again i'll I'll try tailor the, the training session so is that that will happen. So if I can spot, because you spot these guys a mile away a lot of the time, mm -hmm. and then maybe if you're doing a game or playing a game, maybe ask that person specifically, you know, what are we trying to achieve here? Or um, what are we working on there? Or think about the next team we're playing. How does this game apply to them? And and get him involved or her involved in in, in the, the thought process. And that'll make them feel a little bit better going home maybe. So... Yeah, giving a good effort of training is important, uh, even though I know, and I said I've been there, it's not possible. Some days you can be like a dog. Things can be happening outside of outside of, outside of sport, obviously. But as a coach, then it's up to you to maybe spot that and bring them along with you, get my, those guys my, to come along with you. My big thing always is, look, whether you put in the effort or not, you're there for an hour and a half. So if you're going to be there for an hour and a half, you may as well put in the effort. Like you've made the, the time to come here for that time. Why waste it? Like, you know? Like if you look at in America, like a lot of I don't think a lot of GA teams realize how lucky they are. Like if you're playing the NFL, they'll divide you up into first team, second team, third team, and the first team get loads of reps, second team gets some reps, and the third team might get no reps of a day. So also like you, you might be just standing around waiting for someone to get injured in training. So I think you should always be kind of grateful that you're you're getting the opportunity to improve. And yeah, it can be it can be difficult. Do you use stats within training to? raise intensity do you track things within training do you try and create those parameters to 
not that you want to, I suppose, um, create in an environment of effort, like you'd be hoping that's intrinsic, but do you put certain things in place to try and foster it, I suppose? Um, I wouldn't track, but let's say if we were playing a, a game-based uh, situation, like one, let's say one, for example, might be, it might be a puck out, puck out drill, let's say, where you have your field divided up into three and if the goalie can get away a short puck out, he gets one point. If he gets away a mid-range one, he gets two and a long one, he might get five. That's one I kind of use because that keeps the goalies sharp, obviously. And um, Or another one, just for example, it's fresh in my head, we played, um, played kind of four-a-side four hurling, let's say, that are five-a-side hurling, so the two goalies always stay in the goals, but then you'll have four guys rotating in. So it's a 4v4 and then there's a four waiting out and uh we'll play first to five or whatever and sure you know a couple of grips for the winners or whatever and uh, yeah. that that kind of that kind of brings so bringing competition into your training can drive the effort and that's probably how i would try to do it um yeah was just bringing yeah, that into right. the comp competition and, my first year in dublin donny fox i think he used to give a packet of rashers to the player in the middle third who got the most tackles in <laughs> not sure how pc it is but they're the biggest pig on the field so they got well, a packet yeah, of rashers yeah yeah but, that's, uh, but again little things like that yeah, they, they okay. kind of become part of your culture then, don't they? Like, it does, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah and players enjoy that. No, I didn't. Mm. Players do enjoy it. The last one then, I suppose, the last non-negotiable, um, I suppose if you want to call it a belief or a trust. So belief and trust in the process. So trust me that I'm going to make you a better hurler. Okay, and obviously you need to turn up and show, give me your efforts to do that. Um trust obviously the process that we're working on so if we're trying to play a certain way or a certain type style of hurling or uh, a couple of different structures trust that these are going to be good enough to beat the teams we're going to come up against um, and if a player believes in the system if they believe in the process and they believe in the coaching that they're getting there's a massive a much greater chance of them being successful than someone who isn't believing in it and again i've had myself as, a, as an example there's sometimes when I didn't believe in it and your head just isn't in the right place. You come to match day and things just are are, are, are dreadful. But thankfully, those kind of, once you get a little bit older, it's funny, like I actually really enjoy hurling just going back playing now because now I'm seeing the other side of it where I'm not getting frustrated and I'm trying to, trying to see, right, this is what we're trying to do here and I buy into it and whatever. But I definitely do see it in younger guys, um, early 20s kind of guys or, they are just turning up for the sake of turning up. They're not really, not that they're not believing in it, but maybe they're not reading enough into it. Maybe they're not taking it as serious as you'd like them to take it. Um, so that'd be the last thing I'd say is just to, you know, trust and, and believe in in whatever systems are put in place or whatever style of coaching is put in place. And and you will be a much, much harder team to beat if if you do that. It's probably never been harder to get that belief in a group as well, is it? Because I suppose if you go back 20 years ago, even when I was starting out, if you told someone to jump over the wall 15 times that we're going to win their Ireland, they'd probably do it. I suppose we're, we're, our population as a country has never been more educated. I think there's never been more information available to guys and there's never been more analysis and discussion about hurling. So I think if you're not on point and if, you're, if your game plans and your game principles and all that are not where they should be, you'll lose the belief of the players straight away. I think the, the idea of blind faith in a dressing room is gone now. I think it's like you have to be on point as a coach to bring them on the journey with you. Yeah, that's usually important as a coach. You have to get those points across. That's how you communicate with players. If you're not able to communicate how you're going about this, they won't buy into you. Mm. Um, so communication as a coach, really, really important. 
Yeah, and, and look, and getting the players to buy in as well, or like getting the players to give their input. You know, I think, like, I think the greatest resource we have is the players. You're only as good as your players, like, you know, and, and like they're the ones playing the game. I think the more you get the players to input into game plans and direction of the team and stuff like that, the more likely they are to come on that journey with you because they're, they're invested in it and they've bought into it. I suppose it's all part of the part of the process as well. Um, this is a tricky one, I think. When you step away from a team, what three things would you like the players to say about you? Um, you can play cool true, if you want. Don't care if you want, like what? No, like, like you do. You, 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 you want. Well, you do. You want them to say that they enjoyed the training sessions, you know. So you want them to say that right, this guy is a good coach. He he really really enjoyed going to training this year, um, or down to games with him this year. So that's that's definitely one. Um, I suppose you want to be able to say, yeah, well, he improved me as a player, you know. So I want to be able to walk away or go away from a team having said. I'm leaving these guys in a better place than when I came in. We mightn't have won anything, but they're in a much better place than when I came in. Um, so those are definitely two. Um, after that, then you wanted them to maybe say that, that you know he's he's a nice fella, he's sound, he's he's approachable. You know, maybe something like that. Um, you don't want to be kind of you don't want to be a coach that isn't approachable or a coach you can't talk to, um, because if you have, it might only be one player on the team, but if that one player is looking for a shoulder to cry on for all the world, let's say, or wants someone to talk to, or, you know, isn't comfortable asking you, right, let's say this guy isn't getting on the team, he might be getting five minutes here or there. Well, if he doesn't feel comfortable actually coming up to you or coming up to the management asking, well, why aren't I getting my minutes? Well, then you're probably not doing doing your job right there. So you have to be have to be approachable and and be able to to see it from the player side. And thankfully, I suppose me being, being young enough, I, I am still looking at it from the player side as well. So... I, I try and try and get that across. So there are kind of three things that you'd be hoping they'll say. They might be calling the other things behind your back, but uh, <laughs> yeah, as we uh, saw yesterday, not, yeah. women's World Cup final, you don't necessarily have to be liked to get success, do you? No, you, you don't. don't. Okay, last one in this section, Shane. Um, and I suppose this the reason I have this question in here. I got asked this about five years ago by a guy, and I couldn't answer it, and it just blew my mind. So it's something I've thought an awful lot about since. Uh, what's your coaching ethos? Again, when you uh, you would have sent out the draft to me here of maybe the questions, I had to think about it, but it didn't take very long for me to think about Um, because this is something that even though I wasn't purposely thinking about it, but I still have had it in my head for so long. Uh, are you familiar with the poem If by Rudyard Kipling? Yeah. Um. So the first line of If goes something along the lines of if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. Okay. <laughs> so... What I want, my as a coach, I want my players to be able to keep their heads in an absolute crazy environment, be it in Semple Stadium, Croke Park, or in the small field out the back of the school, let's say. If they can keep their heads in the chaotic nature that is, let's say, hurling is the sport we're talking about here, while everyone else is shouting and screaming and blaming them, <laughs> I, wa I want my players to be able to make those good decisions. So as a coach, if I can walk away from somewhere and say, yeah, those guys were able to make good decisions in the chaos. Um, that's my job done, or I suppose that's my ethos, let's say. That's what I want. So, yeah, inspired by Rudyard Kipling, but uh, translated really by Sean Bylan. Sean Bylan translated <laughs> on, a, on a Vodafone ad back about 20 years ago or something. But. You're definitely a disciple of Paddy Butler when you're quoting Rudyard Kipling as your, um, yeah, yeah. As your, as your coaching ethos, that's for sure. No, um, it's funny because that even since that actual that ad, that's where I first came across it on, on TV mm -hmm. and how many years ago it was. But uh, 
just stuck with me and it, it's something I've always I've always read that poem at least a couple of times a year just to see could I take another thing out of it and definitely yeah. the first line first line when it comes to hurling and the, the chaos and that kind of thing and keeping your head it, it really it's really really apt in hurling isn't it? Yeah, it can be easier said than done sometimes when you're in a call yeah. and yeah, 20,000 yeah. Limerick lads screaming over the fence at you <laughs> but okay right Jane I'm going to give you the opportunity to turn the tables here I've done an awful lot of questioning here now so it's easy to ask the questions and put you on the spot so I said I'd give you the opportunity to ask any three coaching questions you wanted to me so I'm going to give you the chance to fire away here yeah so I suppose the first one would be what resources would you use as a coach to try I suppose improve yourself or to upskill let's say yeah, so obviously we're not going to try and pretend that the, these questions are off the cuff. We've done a little bit of preparation for this, right? So um, obviously reading, I've always been an avid reader um, since I was very small, so I still like it as a source of information. So uh, a couple of books that like would really have influenced my coaching, Legacy, James Kerr. So it's nearly a cliche or a cheesy one to say now because I'd say there's probably nobody listening here that hasn't read it. Um, but I remember when I started off in management, it was like it was nearly like a step by step guide of how you'd like to set up a high performance environment, you know. Um, and I've kind of always referred back to it. I nearly read it once a year. Um, I don't think I actually have a copy of it now at the moment because usually I get it, read it, and then someone will tell That's me they haven't read it. And I give it to them and sure it disappears. It's only a small little book as well, so it's gone. So I must get it again. Um, I picked out a few off the shelf here. Uh, this John Wooden one. I really like um there's loads of john wooden books out there but that's a kind of one that you can dip in and out of like there's different nuggets in it and stuff like that um like column cod in dublin you saw it be given out to me he said that my sessions were 90 percent intensity and 10 percent technique but like wooden was a big big man for that he was like always trained at such a level that when you go in and play the matches the matches seem slow like that that you're actually at a higher level in training than than what that much are in games so i kind of took that that was a big takeaway from wooden for me um so that's a nice one to dip in and out of jim mcginnis as well this one might surprise people but um there's a lot i kind of read that nearly every off season um i found it very inspiring um i suppose it, it just resonated with me he kind of struggled early in his career and kind of went for jobs and didn't get them and then when he took over donegal like he'd such a challenge to kind of raise their expectations for themselves and and expect more of themselves and it's just such a, an inspiring story and um i suppose he's kind of obsessive and a bit mad as well and probably i probably am as well like so uh probably the, that's why it resonates and then i was just when i was going through the books i found this that i had forgotten i had but this is probably funny so the tough stuff cody royal uh, it's seven hard truths about being a head coach and the very very first one i think uh you'll probably laugh at everybody thinks you're an idiot <laughs> so it's just what you said there roger kipling keep your keep your head and uh when everybody's blaming you it's okay every head coach yeah. just even out there thinks, thinks they're idiots so that's their books uh podcast as well um i just i'll just throw in a book there well just before you go on the podcast just a book i actually had read and i'll probably read it again there is um pep linder's book intensity he's the liverpool head coach Really, yeah. really good read as well. Yeah, I'm just about, I'm just about to say there is I'm into the the training ground guru at the moment. If we're going kind of going back. Oh yeah, he, he was on it last week. Yeah, the last one is Pep Linder's intensity, yeah. Which, yeah. which is which is class. There's actually a guy from Foynes on it a few weeks ago that I played football with, Connor Nestor. That's no yeah, heard it uh, as well. Yeah, yeah. an Indian yeah. Premier League team. 
Like I thought yeah. it was a mad thing to go from being in fines to managing the Dublin Kogi team, but he's yeah. taking the biscuit all together where he's ended up. But look, books and podcasts, like um, I suppose like we kind of have a little peer group of uh, coaches, four or five of us there in a WhatsApp group that we bounce ideas off of and stuff like that. And I think I would have been frustrated a few years ago when I found GA coaches were very closed with sharing information and stuff like that. So uh, that's probably why I would have gone out of my way to set that up. And I find that very useful, you know, like... It, it, there's a nice circle of trust there. No, everybody knows nothing leaves the group, and you can you can be really open and bounce ideas off guys and just learn from their experiences as well. And you love seeing an old five minute voice note going in from a fella on a Monday morning. Something has <laughs> happened in a championship match on a Sunday, and you're like, right, we can get our teeth into this here now, and I'll learn a bit from this. Um, and look, there'll be other guys outside of that group, uh, like the Don O'Rourke there down Cork and Paddy Murray. And these guys have always been very good to me when I pick up the phone and ask them questions, and always be good for advice and stuff like that. So definitely. Um, a bit of peer learning as well but even even on that edge and i'll just like obviously i'm part of that group there there's four mm. to four of us in it and um yeah i would have been originally kind of maybe a little bit reluctant in sharing stuff but like it's amazing after a couple of weeks couple of months there and you're bouncing ideas off each other it's it's a really productive way of learning um mm. and i advise you know if you are out there and you're listening to this and right i know two or three other coaches you know, give them a ring, say, look, would you be interested in this? You, you might come across some ideas, whatnot. Like, it is it is such an easy way of getting better as a coach. Um, Or if you have certain scenarios you're not sure of where to turn to ask, let's say, you have three or four guys there who are working and probably have faced the same situations as well. So definitely worth doing if, if you're listening to this and um, you have three or four other coaches in mind maybe that uh, you can trust and uh, want to bounce ideas off. Definitely. And reach out to people as well. Like, You'd be surprised. I know Hurling is a bit closed, but I remember there a few years ago, I heard Andy Friend talking on News Talk. And I was just like, Jesus, he was class. And I just phoned him on LinkedIn and sent him a message. And I was like, Andy, I heard you on the radio there. Any chance to meet up with you for a chat? And he just invited me up to Connacht training. And I was like, right, I'm coming up to have a look here now. And he'd probably have a five minute chat. Literally gave me the run of the place. Just ask whoever you want, talk to SNC coaches, analysts, big chat me after. I was like, Jesus, like, why are we so closed in the GA? Like, are we afraid some lad is going to steal a drill or. Yeah. Stealing ideas, like when every yeah. drill and, and game is out there available and interesting. Yeah. Like, you know? So it's just I think like like we shouldn't be afraid of each other as coaches. It's like like we are each other's most obvious resource as a from from a learning point of view. And then the last thing then Shane, like other sports, I suppose became a bit of an AFL fanatic there over the last year. I'd always had a bit of a fleeting interest in it, but we had Cora obviously involved with us in Galway. And she started giving me the little the little kind of uh, nuances of the game and stuff like that. And once you start learning these things, you become a lot more a lot more interested in it. So I have the foundation level AFL course done and I'm looking to do the level two one uh, next month online. So um obviously there fellow tip man there, shout out Connor Eardon's jersey up in the wall and so on. And but, former teammate as well, proud to say. He yeah, was a few yeah. years behind me in school, but uh, <laughs> He, he was never quite made the switch to the NFL channel. Well, he was hurt in Hearty Cup when he was 15, <laughs> and we knew we knew back then that he was going to be a star. Like, so, fairness yeah. to be back here. So, man. But, yeah, look, like other coaches, like other sports, um, like do a coaching course. I kind of have in my head that I might have a crack off the UEFA badges in the next couple of years just, just to see could it do it. Like, you know, I think you can learn so much from other sports and patterns of play and different coaches and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's kind of it. a bit of reading, chatting to other coaches and just kind of keeping an eye on other sports. They'd be kind of the main three, really. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, it's question number two. A graduate of sports science yourself. If you yeah. were to rewind back to, to day one, um, would you do anything differently? And if so, what would you do differently? 
I came to the conclusion I probably wouldn't do it at all. Uh, is is an interesting one, but I don't mean that in a in a disparaging way. I think like I I was only sixteen when I filled out my CEO form, and I probably put sport down because um it it was just something to do. Like I didn't really know what I wanted to do. My brother and sister both been teachers. I didn't really want to go down that route. Um, and I think it didn't really suit me. I was never going to work as an SNC or like move, go on to physio or anything like that. That didn't really interest me. So what I kind of thought about with this was like, I would have loved at the time if there was a, a way of kind of going down a different stream, like you can do in the States, you know, that instead of having to do the SNC stuff, maybe would there be more coaching modules and, and more pedagogy modules and stuff like that? Because like, we had a few with Keen O'Neill and stuff and he was unbelievable. Yes. So basically having a major and a minor, let's say. Yeah, having a major. I'd love to, like if I'd love to have gone and majored in coaching and maybe done a minor in, in, in something else or, um so like it's funny like i said i probably wouldn't go and do it but like you mentioned there the performance masters in ul like i think that's probably a lot more aligned with what i would have needed at the time but at the time ac the academia hadn't really come that far with regards to coaching in ireland really so um like it's a fantastic course and a fantastic grounding if you want to go into strength conditioning or move on to physiotherapy if you hadn't got the points and stuff like that but it didn't really suit what i kind of wanted out of it but um so yeah that was an interesting one so probably wouldn't go back but not because it's had to do with the course just because it didn't really suit the the path i ended up going to coaching i suppose yeah, yeah. and I, i'll just tell you a good one while we were talking about it i went to a private career a career guidance counselor say when i was in sixth year you know just to get a different perspective on what i should be thinking about for the cao or go on doing and whatnot but he, under no certain circumstances was he let me leave his house and he was saying whatever you do he says you are not doing or you're not going to put down sports science on your CAO <laughs> so anyway lo and behold they ended up putting it down I think third maybe but I got it anyway yeah. but uh, um, and look here we are so I think again goes back to what I said earlier what's for you won't pass you exactly um, and as the father says to me he says at the end of the day there's always cows at home to be milked so uh, <laughs> it's all work out that's it yeah, all, yeah. Always go home. So, um, <laughs> that's it. the last the last one then i suppose and we were speaking about this on our whatsapp um and it would have affected me quite badly maybe over the last few weeks and the same last year and, and it's no different than the other coaches but when you when you get better let's say or you get to your final destination as we were calling it so let's say you're knocked out in your your semi-final your final your bet or even if you win um I suppose what I would have always referred to was was burnout. Uh, those those initial couple of weeks after your you finish up with your team, let's say, but you give it a nice uh, term. You kind of as the slump. <laughs> um, so we all know it. We we know it as basically being like literally stuck to the bed for the the next couple of weeks. Kind of you know, yes, you'll get out of it, but you've no drive. Um, you've no real, you know, you don't really want to do anything productive. Um, things are going on the long finger. So how do you maybe approach the stump now? You've you've a good few years of management and coaching behind you. I'm still yeah. only new to the game, but uh, how how are you dealing with it, or have you dealt with it? Or? Yeah, um, look, you've explained it very well there. Um, I suppose I used to think that it used to come after you've been beaten, right? And then looking enough to win a few things, and it still comes, right? And um, I suppose what what you have to remember is is how has it come about? So you've spent kind of maybe seven or eight months. Um, as part of this group right and three and four times a week you're meeting up with 40 people and you have this goal and you have this focus and your whole week is geared around it right no matter even my boss Michael Taylor's watching this he knows this right everything we do all week when you're involved at that level is geared around performance and the group and everything right and you have this focus and it drives you and you have good days and bad days 
then all of a shot it's gone right and if you get beaten in a semi-final or or a, or a quarter-final it can happen very suddenly and all of a sudden you wake up in the morning like jesus i hadn't planned for that get beaten in a final obviously you've kind of maybe thought about it but i think fundamentally as human beings we want to be part of a group and and we have it in our dna that we want to try and achieve something as a group right and we're kind of tribalistic the next thing that's gone right and your focus is gone so i suppose for me this year was probably the first year where i didn't really experience the bad slump that i would have in other years um and i think it's because a combination of a few things i suppose i played an awful lot of golf right so i had that focus that I was meeting up with a few lads two and three times a week in the evening and it kind of it provided no structure to the week that my evenings weren't idle so i wasn't letting myself be idle um i was very very busy at work as well so i probably didn't have enough time to think about um about not having that structure there and having nothing to do in the evenings i suppose um and then i've gotten really into like doing kind of yoga and meditation on this app called pliability um and i found that that kind of I suppose it gets you mentally in a better place maybe as well um so yeah like i suppose trying to just have a routine there for as soon as you're finished whether it's like getting back into the gym or having another hobby or something like that kind of helps no it didn't completely go away there's still days here like jesus like i couldn't watch the camogie final this year when he was on at home the nephews had it on you're just like oh i just couldn't be bothered watching this and you're kind of looking at it and it's like so it's still there, like illogical, like kind of just not wanting to watch it and stuff. So you have all those things, but I think it's impossible to avoid it, like because you, you put so much time and energy into this and then it's gone. Um, but I think if you if you have other activities and hobbies and people around you that you can do things with and kind of just stay busy, it kind of minimizes the effect of it. I would say, yeah. But like, yeah. it's tough. Like it probably it's something I could throw back at you. Like we're we're kind of talking here about like. Uh, like mental health and stuff with coaches but like during the season like what do you do to stay healthy yourself because you, you spend all your time thinking about 40 other people right and how you're going to keep them on a pitch and keep them conditioned and keep them healthy but like do you take any steps during the season yourself to make sure that you're in as good a condition as you possibly can to coach the Clare Hurling team? Yeah well I suppose from my own side of it I, I've been actually a morning person so because most of my evenings are gone, I, I get up and I normally go to the gym around half six. And no, at least maybe three times a week, maybe there was a stage this year, possibly four times, either go to the gym or go for a run or go for a walk. Um, so I'd get up and do something like that. And, you know, that just became routine and always has been routine. I've always been kind of like that. Um, you know, the the rounds of golf and that, I, I just, I'm not as big a golf player. I, I actually, after last year, said season before this year say i went and i bought a set of golf clubs to try and find a different focus to try and get my head away from thinking about hurling or whatever um so i had them there this year now but again i, I was slow enough to pick them up but when i did i actually yeah. found it was a great don't get me wrong though jen i'm useless <laughs> oh, i know but, I, <laughs> but you're on the seat for three or four hours with a couple of it was a great it was absolutely brilliant it was a brilliant help it really was um so again, and that's not going to be everyone's cup of tea either. Um, mm. But again, as you said, having a focus on something. If there's something that you know, right, when this day does come, be it at this round or that round or in the final, we need I need to have some sort of a focus or something to do in the evenings or something to pass the time. Um, that's important. But for me during the year, it was mostly um, going to the gym and that in the morning time or going for a run or a walk. But uh, mm. I actually, 
actually found coaching another team, so coaching the club team on, on the other nights of the week actually really helped as well. Because it, yes, it's the same thing, but it was a totally different focus. Yeah. So I actually found that very helpful this year. And yeah. even though I think that's crazy, oh Jesus, you're gone every night of the week now coaching, but no, it was it was a huge help. Um, yeah. And then obviously straight away, once the inter-county finished, you have your club team there to they're they're going to be kicking off in, in a week or two's time. Now. Yeah, so, no, that's yeah. it. Yeah, it's, it's just important to have the focus on it. The health is such an important thing. The unhealthiest I ever was was when the year we spent coaching Westmead because we were all living in Limerick and it was two year, two hour drive to Mullingar, two hour drive home. And then you're like, you're eating dinner late, then you have another two hour drive home and you're stopping and filling stations, you're having coffees, you're having sugar to stay awake and stuff like that. You're eating like an intercounty athlete, but you're not training like an intercounty yeah, athlete. Correct, yeah. And yeah. it's just like I've made one promise to myself this year, and I know this might sound bananas to people, is that I'm just not going to bother with the dinners after training next year. I, I stopped that this year. I yeah. stopped it this year. Most of the time, anyway, yeah. After trainings, I just I divide it. And there's probably some yeah. lads now listening to this going, look at these lads saying you don't want the dinner after no, training. No, but I still, in fairness, <laughs> like I still. Like, I, I hand on heart, like, I still put up weight this year, still, like, you know, yeah. because you do, because you're snacking and you're you're anxious yeah. about things and you don't realise that you're you're probably eating more than you should be as well. And then, obviously, like, because of this year, I took on a bit more coaching this year, I wasn't able to go home and, and train as much myself. So I actually was missing out on physical hurling training a lot yeah. more than I was the year before. So, yeah, you wouldn't be long. You wouldn't be long put on a few pounds, as they say. But uh, no, so keep an act- definitely keep an active if you can. You know, it's yeah, really absolutely. important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Um, we're nearly there, Shane. Very final question. 20 years' time, maybe 30 years' time for you, you're a bit younger than me. You hang up the whistle for the last time. What's the one achievement you want to have in the bag? What's that one medal you want to have in the pocket? Actually, do you know what? And this might sound cheesy and whatnot, but medals didn't even come into my mind. It was just that I want to have... A family and a home to go to and a good circle of friends that i can trust that's that's an achievement on its own because you know the time that goes into this i actually what i actually had originally written down here and i will say it i wasn't <laughs> going to say it, but i will say it i says ideally married and that she's still with me <laughs> so, <laughs> but, um, because there's no guarantee there's no guarantee you want to time you away from home that's, you know but that's, that's an achievement on its own you know yeah, sometimes the amount of time you're away from home is nearly a blessing chain well, it can be too, but, but <laughs> because of the time, like they say, if you're getting involved in inter-county level, let's say, um, and even club level as well, but inter-county especially, the number one thing you have to have is time. And if you don't have time, someone else is going to be put out. Um, and I'm lucky enough yet, as I said, I'm, I'm like, I'm not married, I don't have kids or anything like that, that I don't have too many external worries outside of it. But most coaches and managers do. I don't know how to do it. So again, in 30 years time as i said if i had I said a family and a home to go to that'd be an achievement achievement enough for me obviously look we all want to win the big ones and we all want to win whatever is going you know but um <laughs> it's it's important not to forget um what you're leaving behind when you're going out taking on these jobs as well absolutely shane it's been an absolute pleasure i'm sure our listeners have taken uh plenty of uh plenty of nuggets a uh, little information for you did you enjoy enjoy uh sitting down and uh giving your thoughts on coaching yeah, no, I look really enjoyable, and as I just hope people might have taken one or two things from it. Um, so over the next couple of episodes, I'm sure you have a few more, and and I'm sure I'll be I'll be watching or listening myself. So every day is a school day, as I say. So if you can learn one or two things from every coach that's out there, you won't be going too bad. Exactly, great stuff, Shane. Oh, listen, we'll leave it at that. Thanks very much for joining us, and thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks, everyone.